Well, we're in Galatians 5 again. We're going to go three verses today, 13, 14, and 15, because they're so powerful. There's so much to them. So hope you can turn to God's Word and follow along as we look at this. This book of Galatians, again, like I said, is just a letter to a bunch of churches struggling with error about the gospel. They have been infiltrated by people preaching and teaching the wrong gospel, a gospel that requires something else. So Paul continually reminds them of the essence of Christ and his gospel and what's contained in it. And that's what he's going to talk about here. We're going to talk about freedom this morning. Now, freedom, it's a precious gift. It's a fragile privilege. And it means much to our nation especially, but it means something to people all around the world. There are people struggling right this very second for their freedom. But the fact is, is that in two weeks, we celebrate Memorial Day. In six weeks, we celebrate the July 4th weekend of the, of the Independence Declaration of Independence. Four months from now is Constitution Day on September 17th, if you didn't know that. There's much celebration wrapped around our nation's freedom. America's freedom from England and from other enemies has been a, a big deal to us. And it's cost lives, it's cost fortunes, and it's cost reputations. But the sad truth is, is that it's not real freedom. It's not the true freedom. It's not complete. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Freedom to do right no matter what. Free to resist our natural desires, our natural behavior, our natural tendencies, our natural reactions to when someone offends us. Freedom to do the right thing, no matter what's going on around us. That's real freedom. We're, we're free to choose to live above our human nature, our human desires, the worldly pleasures that surround us, the bondage to sin that these Galatians are struggling with over the, the law. Because Christian freedom is different. Follow along as I read verses 13, 14, and 15. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage, and we thank you for the truth of it, and we thank you that you have saved us from our sins so that now we can live from our sins. We can live separate. We can live above our human frailty. Show us this morning in your word and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So, after warning the Galatians about the bondage of the lost salvation that the Judaizers were pushing, Paul now speaks of using freedom correctly. Because that's what they've got. That's what he's telling them. They've got freedom. You go back to verse 1 of chapter 5. For freedom, Christ set us free. Paul's wanting them to understand that you use this freedom to fulfill the law of God, to serve others. And so the call to freedom in Christ is different than any other version of human freedom. And, and that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes with what we see around us. We avoid the, the pitfalls of self-gratification and pursue service and love to others when we understand what freedom really is in Christ. So how do we use our freedom in Christ? You know, what are we meant to do with our newfound forgiveness? The mercy, his mercy is more. His mercy forgives you. What are we supposed to do with that newfound forgiveness? Well, Paul, Paul gives us here 
three privileges that God grants us because of freedom. First, we need to serve others, not ourselves. Number one, freedom for right, not wrong. Look at verse 13 again. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. So it starts with a calling. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been called. Okay? It's not something you necessarily decided, oh, I think I'll try this. If you are really a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called out from the rest of the world. It is a calling. All believers who profess faith are called. He summoned you to freedom. And that's a great thing when you think about it like that, right? He called you. He summoned you to freedom. He summoned you that Christ made you free at God's direction and God's calling. It's all of God's idea, okay? We want to be free in our own design. God calls us to be free because freedom, real freedom has a purpose that God has ordained and set out. Now, if you look at this passage, and you'll notice in our English translation of it, there's three conjunctions here, for, only, and but. And these lead us to kind of the qualifications and the real purposes of freedom. First of all, he says, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. He's, that for is referring back to verses 7 through 12, where he talks to them about being under the bondage of the law again, submitting to what the Judaizers say, you've got to do this to be saved. You've got to do this to be right with God. He's, he's called them out from that and says, he says, for you were called to be free. So that's what four is connecting back to that. And then he puts a qualification on it. Only do not let this freedom be used as an opportunity, a bridgehead, a launching point for the flesh. Now the flesh, we use that term, Paul uses that term in scripture. It just points to our worldly desires, our worldly human nature. Flesh usually implies and typically implies when it's used in a metaphorical sense, our sinful nature. And we still all have it. We're a new creation in spirit, but we still got a sinful nature that we war with constantly. So don't use your freedom to just do what you want to do. You don't give your human nature free reign if you're free in Christ. Okay? So don't do that. That's not what it's for. And then he says, but, oh, now he gives us a contrast. But he gives us the real reason God set us free in Christ. Loving and serving others. Loving service to others. See, if I don't get anything else across to you this morning, this is what I want you to get under, under your, in your head, okay? Freedom in Christianity is a different definition. We have to redefine freedom when we talk about Christian freedom. It's not national freedom. It's not free from human oppression. It's free from something worse, the curse of sin and death, the curse of hell. And so freedom has to be looked at from that perspective. It's not free to give our natural desires free reign and you can do whatever you want. And oh, I'm, I'm once saved, always saved. I'm going to heaven. Yahoo, I can do what I want. That's not what it's for. Jesus didn't die for that. See, the Judaizers here in Galatia was using their freedom, their freedom, and I put that in air quotes, to serve their selfish intentions. They wanted to gather in a group for themselves. They wanted to convince people that the Jewish law was still valid in terms of the ceremonial law, in terms of salvation. They were doing, they're using their freedom to, to do something that was destructive. But Paul is declaring right here, he declares that freedom in Christ is meant for slavery to others. Serve fellow believers and others, not yourself. 
and do it with love. I mean, he's really, that's what it says here. Serve others. That same word is the same word in the Greek that means slavery. To be a slave. To be enslaved to serving others in love. Boy, if we just kind of could get that through our heads, we would understand what Jesus really died for. But it's, it's clear in Scripture that we are to serve one another, that we, live, we can live above the human desires and the human reactions that we see people have all the time. You've seen probably someone cross-stitch this little thing called joy, J-O-Y. And they're talking about real joy in Jesus comes from J-O-Y. And now beside it, they go, Jesus, others, you. Well, there's a lot of truth there. When we enslave ourselves to serving others, we find real joy. And I'm not talking happiness and giddiness and all that. I'm talking joy, contentment that goes deep, that's never rattled. See, the redemption believers enjoy, it liberates us to pursue goodness so that we serve others with gladness. I mean, that's what we're called to do. We're to do right by God. Because he saved us, okay? We're to do right by God with this freedom that we have. Not what our skewed minds come up with sometimes. And boy, they can come up with some crazy ideas. Just read the news one day. You'll see enough of it and you'll not, never want to read it again. And we're also free to fight off the sinful desires that we have. We're free to do that. You don't have to say, the devil made me do it. You don't have to say, well, I couldn't help myself. You're free to fight that. Now, sometimes we're going to fail and I'm not going to take away grace because we have forgiveness but we're supposed to be fighting a different battle for freedom. You know, rivers have banks, right? Rivers typically stay in their banks unless it's really rainy. Roads, we have guardrails on them to protect you from going off the edge of a cliff or something. Well, freedom has a greater purpose to guide it than just getting to do willy-nilly what you want to do and drive off that cliff, all right? Freedom has a purpose in God Almighty. Real freedom cannot be jailed. You can't put real freedom in jail. And people have that, un, they have that problem with that because it's like, oh, people are being thrown in jail all over the world for exerting their freedom. But freedom can't, real freedom can't be jailed. Real freedom can't be shackled. And real freedom can't be put to death because it's in Christ who we trust and live with forever. Real freedom can't be put under any human capture. Because it lives differently. It lives above the, the human version of freedom. And Scripture is really clear on how we're supposed to use and how we're not supposed to use our freedom in Christ. 1 Peter 2.16, Peter says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as, and here's this word again, servants, slaves of God. That's how we're supposed to use it. For God. But here's what happens when freedom is misused. In Jude verse 4 it says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed. It sounds like Galatia, right? Have crept in unnoticed who long ago were de designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They think it, you're free to do what you want to do, and they've, they're using it. Jude's writing to a, a church, and there are people in that church using it for sensuality purposes, to still participate in pagan rituals. You are not free to do what you want in Christ, okay? We need to understand that. Freedom is a hot topic today. Free to, free to say what you want, speak your mind, tweet it, 
Facebook it, whatever. Get, get your opinion out there. And when you disagree with somebody, you can denigrate them, you can demean them, and you can try to cancel them. That's, that's what we think freedom is today. Freedom of speech is taking on a whole new thing over any subject. It doesn't matter what the subject is. I, I saw people disagreeing about barbecue this week on Twitter. It's like, well, oh, okay. But uh, they did have a point. They'd left Texas completely out of the barbecue discussion. But, but here's the deal, okay? Human beings are truly free. Listen to me. Human beings are truly free when they are no longer under the dominion of their natural desires. When you're no longer giving in to those natural sinful pleasures, you're truly free. You're free to drive the speed limit. You're free to pay all your taxes. You're free to do whatever God leads you to do to serve him and others. And in Christ, we experience the freedom of the new creation and the joys of obedience to God. I mean, that's, that's the reward. And the reward is great in heaven for those who follow Christ and obey him. Slavery to the will of God is perfect freedom. Think about that. Slavery to the will of God is perfect freedom. Perfect submission to God's will means perfect freedom. Yet freedom is misunderstood sometimes, even in Christianity, even in the Christian circles. Uh, enslavement to something can come by expressing our freedom in the wrong way. You'll, see, you'll hear the term a lot of times in Christian circles called Christian liberty. My liberty in Christ. And let me tell you, people have used it to say, I can eat as much as I want, I can smoke, I can drink, I can watch pornography, because I'm free in Christ. I can drink all the alcohol I want because I am free in Christ. They're wrong. They may be free to do some of those things in moderation, not pornography, but it's not true to do it as much as you want. See, some things are sinful just in outright, but most of the time in our motives and our overuse of something, it's even more sinful, even if it wasn't sinful in itself. But that's another whole sermon. We've also used, misused Christian freedom to cause others to stumble in their faith. And let me tell you, Paul writes plenty of times and in plenty of places, do not use your freedom to cause others to stumble. Christian liberty is for edification, not self-promotion, okay? We're, we're supposed to be helping one another, whoever it is. It's for edification and not self Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not do unto them as they did to you. <laughs> Remember what Jesus said. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And here's the bottom line. What is true freedom? It's living every day in grace and love toward others to the best of our ability in the Holy Spirit. True freedom is living every day in grace and love toward others to the best of our ability in the Holy Spirit. So make sure you're expressing your Christian liberty for the good and edification of others, not your own pleasures or privileges. Sometimes we Americans, we kind of get caught up in this whole freedom thing and do what we want, but we need to make sure we're helping others. We're edifying the church. We're strengthening others. We're witnessing. Freedom in Christ is for serving others in love constantly, not our own personal perks. So that's what true freedom is for. Freedom in Christ to serve grants us the greatest privilege of all. And the greatest privilege of all is point number two, freedom to fulfill God's law. Look at verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, 
Paul's talking about just that command. You know there's two commands, right? Love God and love others. He's referring to this command only here because it's a social environment. It's talking about how to treat one another. He's wanting the churches to treat each other better. So that's why he only mentions this, but he talks about the other in a, in a second. In Romans, we talk about that. <clears throat> but we have to ask a question here because all through the letter, Paul has been going, putting down the law. The law. Don't do the law. Don't, you don't have to do the law. Pushing the law to the side. Trust in Jesus. The law doesn't apply anymore. He's been saying that the whole letter, the first four chapters and part of five. Why is he all of a sudden saying now, fulfill the law, the law of God, love your neighbor as yourself? Well, there's, a little, there's some differences here, here. The functions of the law separate the two uh, positions that Paul's taking. See, the Judaizers, they were pushing the law as do this and you'll be saved. Do this and you'll be saved. Do these things with Jesus and you'll be saved. That's what the Judaizers were pushing. They were pushing a justification use of the law. Oh, but Paul's pushing something bigger. The fulfillment of the law. The, the embodiment of God's law. The, the requirement of the law. Faith expressing love to others. I mean, many of the laws that you read in Leviticus and Num Numbers and Deuteronomy, the many of those laws are about human relationships, how to treat one another. I mean, there's a lot of ceremonial stuff in there too, but if you read Leviticus, you'll see how to behave toward one another. God's effort is to, toward relationships, doing right to others. And doing the law, which is required for justification according to the Judaizers, do the law and you'll be right with God, it's not attainable. We had that discussion before. You cannot be perfect. You can't do enough right to be right with God. So it's unattainable anyway. But fulfilling the law, well, that's the promise of justification. Once we're justified, we're promised we can fulfill the law of Christ. We can feel the law of God, fulfill the law of God. <clears throat> and it's the result of the Spirit's work inside us. See, God's whole law... The concept of God's whole law is about love. It's always about love. Why does John say in 1 John 4, 8, God is love? Because his whole concept of God is love. It's why he, he created Adam and Eve. It's why he saved the children of Israel from Egypt. It's why he does a lot of things. And Paul gives kind of a fuller explanation of this in Romans chapter 13. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 13, Paul takes this to a, a deeper level us. And remember, Galatians is the first letter he ever wrote. So Romans is a little bit later down the line. And Paul developed this whole concept a little deeper. In Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, here's what Paul says. Do not owe any, anyone anything except to love one another. It says in one version, let no debt remain outstanding. I love this. Except the continuing debt to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments... Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment you come up with are summed up by this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because love does no harm to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. You see the love concept that God gives us in his law? It's not a prideful boasting thing. It's, a, it's meant to be expressed to others in slavery and service to God. And it's also how the world's going to know that you're a Christian if you express your love to others, no matter what they do to you. I'm not telling you to be a doormat for people. That's not what I'm saying. But you can express love to people sometimes by just steering clear of them. Okay? 
In John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, which really isn't new, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how we testimony, our testimony to the world. So I'm free from revenge. I'm free from grudges. I'm free from retaliation. I'm free from resenting someone, regardless of what they've done to me. I'm free from that in Christ. Because loving my neighbor as myself means I'm free from that. You can't do it unless you think you're really free from all of that. And Jesus really proclaimed and commanded these things as well. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, Jesus really drove home this point. A lawyer asked him, Teacher, what commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. See, God commanded them. Jesus declared them. And Paul has explained their true fulfillment comes in expressing love to one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Freedom calls us to this. That calling I mentioned a while ago, that's what you're called to do. And as a believer, our foremost aim and purpose in life should be to please God. Why? Because he adopted you. <laughs> Don't forget the other part that we've talked about already. He adopted you. You're in his family as a believer in Christ. So you should be aiming to please the Father in whatever you can do. And the, the best means of pleasing God is to obey his commands, to love him and love others. We're not doing it be, to be justified for God. We're doing it because we have been justified. We are saved. That's why we do it. Now, do you remember Jesus' explanation of what a neighbor is? You've got to go to Luke 10 to get this explanation. I'm not going to read the whole story, but it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. We all know it. Guy gets beat up by some robbers. A priest, a Levite go by. They just ignore him and walk on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan... Who was, not, who was a half-Jew, who had animosity. There was a racial animosity between that guy laying, <clears throat> bleeding on the road and that guy on, the, on a donkey riding by. This Samaritan stops, <clears throat> picks him up, and takes him to an inn and has his wounds treated and pays for it all. That's the definition of a good... He, he, Jesus asked the question, Who's, a, who's, who's the neighbor? Well, the one who showed mercy. So that's the, that's the answer. If you're going to be a neighbor and love someone like you love your, yourself, you'd be like the Good Samaritan. Now, we use the idiom today, Good Samaritan. Matter of fact, I saw it in a news article this morning. So-and-so was being a Good Samaritan, and we've kind of congealed it to one act. One thing you did, oh, I was a good Samaritan day. It's kind of like the Boy Scout. I did my good deed for the day. You know, we, we've congealed it down to that one act. I was a good Samaritan. I, I helped someone change a flat, or I helped someone across the street. And, and that's all good stuff, but it misses Jesus' point. Jesus' point is being a good Samaritan, loving your neighbor as yourself, is not a one-time or rare event. God calls us to do it constantly. It's not something we do once in a while when we feel like it. We look to do it constantly. We look to do it constantly because that's what God's called us to do. 
The good Samaritan in the story, if he wasn't a good guy, he would have never stopped for that one event. He would have just kept on going. If he wasn't good in the way he treated and acted and lived his life, he would have walked on by, rode on by. See, God calls us to love constantly, regardless of what people say. Even the unlovable, and I know that's hard, and sometimes especially the unlovable, because he puts us in situations where we're elbow to elbow with the unlovable, we think. Well, God's put you there for a reason, to love your neighbor (laughs) as yourself. Um, See, the law in this case assumes that we love ourselves, okay? So you don't have to love yourself more before you start loving others. You already love yourself most of the time. And, and we always typically seek our own interests. So that's, a, that's a, a mute point some people try to point out. But, but love seeks out the interest of others and pursues their best. That's what love really does. And Christ modeled this self-giving, self-sacrificing idea of love when he died on the cross. Paul's already told us in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. That's the way we're supposed to be living our life. Jesus fulfilled the law of God in our salvation. And sometimes when we don't speak the gospel to others, we really don't love them. We may say we love people, but if we're not willing to share the gospel with others, do we really want them to have eternal life? I mean, we have the gift of eternal life as believers in Christ. We have the testimony that John talks about in 1 John 5. Love asks how others can be served and edified in a way that accords with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that fulfills God's law, okay? Love asks ask yourself, how can I help others? How can I serve others in a way that goes along with God's word, the gospel of Jesus Christ? And when you do that, you fulfill God's law, and that's a wonderful thing to do. See, God calls us in Christ to freely do right, not wrong, and to completely fulfill his law by the Spirit's guidance. And this then flows into the church, which brings us to point number three. We're free from quarrels and divisions. Look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. Now, why would Paul turn from such glorious words in 13 and 14 to such a negative warning in 15? Well, Paul's a smart man because he's afraid they're going to bite and devour one another. Why is he afraid of that? Well, see, human freedom. Human freedom thinks that speaking and doing what you want anytime, anywhere is what human freedom is about. I get to say what I want, when I want. I get my way. I get to push for my way. But God's freedom resists that, believe it or not. That's not what God's freedom does. And these churches who were struggling with these Judaizers, could easily have turned on one another inside these churches. They could have turned on one another. Who brought these guys here? Who let them in the door? Who encouraged us to listen to what they said? I mean, they could start the blame game, the accusation game, across in the church. And that's what human freedom loves to do. We, we love playing the, the blame game. you know. And sometimes it doesn't even matter whose fault it is. It matters what we're going to do next, what's going to be right, that we can fix this. So Paul knew that they were going to probably do this, and he warns them not to let their human nature control the resolution of this situation, this problem. He said, let the Spirit govern your steps. That's what he's talking about. 
What good will it do to resist these Judaizers and then bite and consume and devour yourselves? What good is it going to do if you divide the church when you fought off the Judaizers because you were trying to figure out who's to blame? Paul knew that that could happen because human freedom is still something we all cling to. Our human reactions is still something that is hard to shake, hard to get rid of. So we need to watch out for that human tendency to turn on one another, especially when times are good. That's, I found in, in some of the church studies I've been doing and, all, and, and just looking at stories, a lot of churches turn on themselves when things are going really good. You know, the offerings are up, the attendance is up, everybody's happy, and then something happens and somebody gets a little upset and says something and someone else gets upset and then they get mad at each other and then they start forming parties and factions and they get their side and their side and it's, it's just sad. It really, it happens. But that human tendency to turn it into a, a you versus them is not what God's after. Love doesn't do that. You know, Americans, we, we think we have the right to complain about everything and we probably do or we think we do anyway. But we also have the right to compliment. See, freedom of speech goes both ways. Your mom probably taught you this. If you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. Freedom of speech goes both ways. We don't always have to criticize everything. See, the world will treat people critically and scornfully, and the church must strive to be different. We don't want to look like the world in the way we conduct our business here. We don't want to look like the world the way we conduct our behavior here. We want to look like people who have been forgiven, people who are living redeemed lives. And we all know we're free in Christ to live above our human nature, to live differently. Paul warns the Philippians, he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. We need to be on watch for those things that we might, might could be used against us as a church to divide us. See, the, the Holy Spirit liberates believers to restrain our evil, to do what's right, not to give our freedom a free Im reign with our evil impulses. I mean, sometimes it's easy to spot unbelievers when you watch how they react to an argument, a disagreement, uh, a, a difference of opinion. You can see someone's Christianity real clear, or they're not Christianity real clear, depending on how they react to something. I mean, if we shout and we yell to win arguments, we're probably not secure in our gospel freedom. See, right is not might. That's what the world will tell you, and that's what the world shows us a lot of times. But humility is right when it comes to Christianity. If we live by grace, we can firmly state the truth. There's nothing wrong with that. And even restate it if necessary, and then just leave the results to God. Let him handle it. Truth is truth, and God's going to use it when he decides to use it. We, we, we can state our, our point. We need to let God have the results and work it out. See, getting our way or being right or winning the argument, these are the ways of the world, okay? Not the ways of free people. And if you go back and read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, as people call it, that chapter is not about romantic love. That chapter is about church love and God's love, and Christ's love, and the freedom we have in Christ, to love and not count wrongs against each other, and be patient and kind. We need to seek gentle and edifying discussions with Christ-focused solutions. That's how we solve things. That's, that's what we need to do to resolve things. And ask ourselves the question, how can I serve others in the body of Christ? 
What would the Lord have me do because of my freedom? What can I do with the li- my life that will help others mature spiritually or bring them to faith in Jesus Christ? I mean, those are the questions we need to spend time asking ourselves. Because we're in free, we are free in Christ to let others' opinion matter. We can let someone have their opinion. We can let their way may be taken. We can let their preferences be preferred. We're free in Christ to let some of that happen. We don't have to make a, a deal about everything. And that freedom also means that we don't do it begrudgingly and holding it against somebody when they do it. So many times we, we say, well, we let them have their way once. It's like, that's not what we do. Love does not count that way. Hear what the scripture says. Unity in the bond of peace. That's what a church should be striving for. Unity in the bond of peace. Do not think more highly of yourself. Scripture tells us that. In humility, count others more important. Yeah, Paul wrote those in different books, different places. And that's how a church behaves. It does not bite and devour. So as I, I kind of sum this up, our call to freedom in Christ is for right living. For loving, serving, and fulfilling God's law. That's what our freedom is for. Not our own personal use, okay? So, imagine for a moment, just imagine, you might have to close your eyes to do it because our world we live in is so crazy. Imagine for a moment if the church of Jesus Christ lived out our freedom for the good of others in all situations. If the church of Jesus Christ lived out our freedom for the good of others in all situations, what would change in your circle of life? If your, freedom, if your freedom suppressed your human nature and followed the Holy Spirit. I, I think a revival would happen among believers. Maybe a spiritual awakening among the lost. If we lived out our freedom as we don't have to give in to human behavior, it would make a difference. And believer, remember, you're called to do this. You're called to this kind of freedom. To live above those human desires. These are the things James talks about that tempt us and, and drag us away and entice us to sin. We're, we're free to live above those. We're free to live outside the entanglement of that. So one of the things we can do is tell someone about Jesus. Boy, if that's not free speech, I don't know what is. And there's people going to jail even in Canada right now for telling people to believe in Jesus. Pastors are going to jail because they're having church in Canada. Yes, Canada. I know of two at least. I know one this morning that's meeting somewhere up there that is hoping the police don't show up, but they're afraid they are. It's terrible. But they're telling others about Jesus, and that's what we need to be doing regardless. Joining a church to to associate with others who are truly free is another way we can express our freedom. Now, friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ and you don't know the freedom that we're talking about this morning, (laughs) the good news is you can. You can by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, by Faith, you say, I believe in Jesus. I trust him. His death, burial, and resurrection for the salvation of my soul, for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe he can save me by what he's done. That's how you can have this freedom that I'm talking about. Where you don't have to worry what people think about you anymore. You believe it without reservation. And then you put everything that you've been trusting in, and there's a lot of crap I'm sure that you're trusting in, because there's a lot of crap I'm trusting in at times. Put it behind you. Turn away from it. 
Get rid of it. Because it's just going to bring you back down into that human idea of freedom instead of Christ's idea of freedom. Let go of your own desires and accept Christ's desires for you. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the freedom we have that no matter what someone does to us, you've called us to react with love. Love may be in different forms and fashions. May, love may have to do with some things that, that are hard. But that's the way you've called us to react. To keep our eyes on the cross. To keep our eyes on heaven. To keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So that we can behave differently. We can fulfill your law. And we cannot strive among ourselves over things that may not matter at all. Lord, we ask that you give us that kind of strength and motivation and willingness to live that way, to live free in Jesus Christ all our days. It's in his name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing for Jesus to keep us near the cross.